Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Hey, let me tell you, a couple weeks ago, we took uh, an offering, our dollar share offering, where we just asked each of us to give a dollar. And uh, what we did is we sent that money down to Christ Fellowship, uh, a church that we come out of in Florida, which is probably about 70 miles from where the hurricane hit the, and devastated some of the islands in the Bahamas. And uh, they know best, the churches and the ministries there, for us to be able to support and help out. I think we sent almost $1,200 down there. Uh, yeah. You, we, you can give yourselves a better hand than that. So go ahead, do that again. And, uh, you know, it, it is just great for what, what we've been able to do and help. And uh, that's, that's all uh, on you guys. That is such a good thing. We're in the middle of a series called What Are You Thinking? And we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and what Paul allowed God to do to his thinking. God took Paul just where he took him, and he came to Christ and took him through a process, and through that process changed the way Paul thought. Because the way we think determines the way we feel, which determines how we act. And the Apostle Paul's thinking went through a transition. Paul was actually educated at the highest level in his day. He was educated, the Bible says, by Gamaliel. Now, not only does the Bible say that, but secular historians write and, and are very clear in support of the, that Paul was educated by Gamaliel, which means he had the best education you could imagine. Not only was Paul educated, Paul was a type A personality. He was an unbelievable debater. Paul knew Roman law. He was a Roman citizen. Not a, he, he, was, he was a well-established Roman citizen, spent his whole life serving his religion, Judaism, squeezing, trying to put down and kill this offshoot sect of Judaism called Christianity, and it wasn't called Christianity then, it was called the followers of the way, and, and, and Paul spent his entire life pursuing Christians, persecuting them, and putting them to death. That's what Paul did. And he comes, and he come, becomes a follower of Christ, and God takes him through this process of changing who he is completely. And Paul talks about this, the fact that the battle is in our mind. There's a tug of war going on in our mind. There's this one pull in the direction of who God is and what his word says and what his Holy Spirit does. And then the world around us, the broken world around us, what they have, and this tug of war pulls. And what comes into your mind and what you allow to dominate your mind comes out in your life. And it comes out in my life. It's difficult to live a positive life if you're constantly bombarded with negative thoughts. And Paul in 2 Corinthians, some of the passages of Scripture we're going to look at are, are the same passages I've looked at for the last two weeks. I, I, want, I want us to go through them again. Let, let's take a little bit of, of an even a deeper and a fresh look. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, 
For though we live in the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. In other words, we're not stepping into the process of a battle the way the world does. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In this passage of Scripture, Paul actually begins to use language that a warrior uses. He shifts to a military concept. On the contrary, they have divine power. They have power from God to demolish strongholds. Power from heaven to demolish wrong patterns of thinking. Paul says the battle is in the mind. The, the weapons that we have are prayer, faith, hope, love. The weapons that we have are prayer, faith, hope, love. The Bible, the Holy Spirit in our lives. He goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension. In other words, when we're exposed to a thought, we're exposed to a thought that can lead us down a path towards sin. He says, we, we recognize that. We demolish arguments and every pretension, every idea or every opportunity that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, any thought that is inconsistent with God's word and with his truth. We actually grab that thought and we make it a prisoner. We, we take that thought and we put that thought in jail in our mind. Talk about being in Facebook jail, right? We take that thought and we put it in jail that's in our mind. We don't let it have any control. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, he says. How do I take a thought and make it captive to Christ? When we, when we take a thought that we know is wrong and, and we simply give it back to God, Lord, Lord, I, I'm, being, I'm struggling with this. I'm tempted. To, when we give it to God, we are taking control of it. For centuries, we actually thought that the brain was fully established at adolescence. And if you have kids in school, that probably would scare you to death. But, but we've come to the place where we recognize that that's not really true. Our, our brain continues to move. It continues to grow. It continues to, to get larger in the sense of, in context of knowledge. It just moves and progresses forward. And, and we know that our brain is creating neuropathways. See, when we think a thought, that thought creates a neural pathway that actually makes it easier to think that thought again. God designed our brains this way. And the more we think a thought, the easier it becomes to think that same thought. And if you're thinking good thoughts, that's a, that's a great thing. But if you're not, that's a problem. The Bible talks about meditating 
The Bible talks about memorizing. God says, your, the scripture says, your word have I hid in my heart. In other words, it has found a, a place that it lives. When we meditate on God's word and we can, and, and we can memorize God's word, then we have created these neural pathways that God's word just defaults to, and our thinking becomes his thinking, and what we think about plays out in our lives. This is God's design. If you're taking notes, you've probably recognized this from, from last week or even the week before, but you're going to want to fill this in. Your, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. My life will always move in the direction of my strongest thoughts. And I've talked about meditating. I've talked about, about, about putting God's word in our, in our mind so that it, it can play out in our lives. Today, I, I want to lean into another area because Paul looked at this area. This thing called cognitive bias. As a matter of fact, I've, I've, given, you, I've given you a definition there. A cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. It's a mistake in reasoning, and it's based on personal preferences or beliefs. It's kind of like a mental filter. It's a process that we take our thinking through on any given subject. The problem is that filter is not necessarily accurate. And what so often it is, is it's a wrong thought process. It's a wrong belief that causes us to make errors in judgment. How many of you this morning would, would be honest enough to say that, that you've made a mistake? Most of your hands are up. I, I, and in the first service, a number of people put both hands up. And I felt like, hey, that's, that's, my, that's my group right there. That's my category. We make wrong decisions based on wrong assumptions. That's why people react differently to the same situation. That's why on a job, a boss can take one employee into a room and share something with that employee, and that employee will be offended. And that same boss can take another employee of his into a room and share that exact same thing. And that employee will respond differently. They, they would say something like, thank you. You know, I really did not see that. Or I really didn't see that about myself. Two totally different responses. Because each person is taking it through a different mental filter. That's why in church you can have one person that, that says all Christians are, are hypocrites and, and churches when they get too big they're, they're just not effective and, and they don't really care about people anyway. Or you can get someone else who, who simply says, you know what, Christians aren't perfect and God uses all many kinds of churches to, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Two totally different filters they're viewing it through. 
the latter one is most likely going to have the best experience in church. We, we get so often what we want or what we're looking for. Studies actually show us that our natural father and our relationship to our natural father so often shapes the way we view God, the way we see God, the relationship that we will actually allow ourselves to have with God. You see, if you grew up with a dad who was distant or, or abusive or, or cold or demanding, that will begin to shape in your mind what your, not only your father is like, but what your heavenly father is like. And, and if your natural father was non-existent, was not even there, that will tend to pull you in the direction of just thinking and believing that God himself is not involved that much in our lives and really doesn't care that much about our lives. Our thinking is shaped. And last week I talked more about meditation and, and truth, and this week I want to look at kind of another area with Paul. I want to look at refocusing our thinking. And that word refocusing, I, I've given you a bit of a definition there too. A different way of looking at a situation, a person, or relationship by changing. You're going to want to write that word changing in there. By changing what you focus on. Change what we focus on, which reminds me of this little kid who loved baseball. He loved baseball so much, and he had a bat and a ball. He took the ball, and he said, you know what? I'm the best hitter of all time. I'm the greatest hitter of all time. Threw the ball up in the air. Swung as hard as he could, missed the ball, it dropped to the ground. He bent down, he picked the ball up, and he said, I'm the greatest hitter of all time. And he threw the ball up, swung as hard as he could, he missed the ball, and it fell to the ground. And the third time, he picked that ball up, he threw it in the air, and said, I am the best hitter that ever was. And he swung as hard as he could, and he missed the ball. And he said, wow. I'm the greatest pitcher that I ever lived. I just struck out the greatest hitter of all time. Changing your thinking. Changing my thinking. Being willing to stop and reevaluate. Being willing to put in the simplest of terms to think differently. Today's going to be a great day. Or you might think, today's going to be an average day. Or maybe you focus on all your problems, and, and, and you, you'll get up in the morning, and your perspective will be, this is just going to be a lousy day. Whichever of those three you decide, that's the day you're going to have. This isn't a message of just mind over matter. This isn't a message to help build us. This is a message that points back to God's word and this very process that God himself, the Apostle Paul, allowed God to use in changing who he was. Totally transformed his thinking. Because the way we think determines the way we feel, which determines what we do. 
You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you focus on. You and I cannot control what happens to us, but we can control what we focus on. And nobody was better at this than Paul. Paul was great at refocusing. Paul wanted to preach in Rome. Paul wanted to take the gospel to other nations. He he wanted to take it out. He wanted to share. Paul's life had been transformed. He recognized that everything that he thought before he, he met Christ was just not accurate that there was a whole new thing that God was doing, and God did it in him, and he just wanted everyone and every nation to know, and he wanted to go to Rome to preach. Everything inside of him wanted to get to Rome to reach the leaders in Rome so that he could share this truth of the gospel. And he poured his life into that. Now, Paul ended up going to Rome, but not the way he wanted to. Paul went to Rome as a prisoner with chains on him. He was put in house arrest in Rome. And every eight hours, they put a new guard attached to him with chains. Every time, every eight hours, another one came in. And Paul was not only in, in house arrest, chained to a guard, but he was waiting to be executed. He knew that one of the next things that were going to happen to him is they were going to put him to death. Because he'd watched Christians. He'd pursued Christians and put them to death. And then he watched as Christians, as, as the disciples, as, as one by one they were put to death. Paul knew that that was going to happen to him. What he wanted was not what was happening. And some of us in our lives, guys, we're at this place. We can come to this same place in life when things suddenly go wrong. I've been involved in several people in our, in our church family's lives this week where things went very wrong. And at those times, whether it's a, it's a job, you know, we're, we're looking for the job and we're looking for a promotion and, and it doesn't come or, or it goes right by us or, or we don't get a job and our thought is, God, where, where are you? Or maybe you married that wonderful person that you were so sure was, was going to change your life and... And that went bad. Or maybe you're at a place in life where you're saying, you know, I thought, I I just thought when I got to this place in life, it would be different. I I wouldn't be dealing with this, or or, or, or we we would not be, be struggling with any number of different things. The Apostle Paul could have taken that perspective. This passage of Scripture, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, brothers. Paul could have said, I want you to know, brothers, right now my life sucks. Didn't say that. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, you know, I am not where I expected to be. I I think I'm going to stop going to life group. I I think I'm maybe not going to make it on Sundays to Camelback anyway. I'm going to stop serving. Paul didn't say that. Look what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know what Paul's doing? He is not at all focused on himself. He's focused on who God is and what God has done and what God is doing. 
a hundred. He's gone through this process where his mind has been transformed. And his very nature is to not focus on himself, but focus on God. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control my focus, Paul's saying. Look what he goes on to say in 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You know what that means? See, Paul wanted to go to Rome because he wanted to preach and share the gospel. He went to Rome, but he went in chains. And where is he? He's in, 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 in jail. And he's chained to a palace guard. And every eight hours, they bring another one in, and they chain him to that. You know what happens here? These guys have seen people in prison all their lives. Paul is nothing like any prisoner they have ever seen. Paul has had his mind transformed, and he is rejoicing. And he is not talking about the gospel. He is living the gospel. And living the gospel chained to a Roman palace guard who leaves the palace guard after eight hours and goes and talks to his captain and his lieutenant, and it goes all the way up to the chain of command, and everybody everywhere in the entire Roman government knows Paul's in jail, and every one of them are talking about what God has done in his life. And God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish with Paul, but he does it totally differently than Paul wants it to be done. Look what he says in verse 14. And not only that, not only does everyone know that I'm in chains for Christ, not only is everyone forced to see the love of Christ that coming, coming through me, Paul said, and now because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's encouraging his team and his team is taking on the other team and they are winning. Yes, something bad happened. But when I look through God's perspective, Paul says, you know what I see? I see God is still at work. He's still moving. He's still active. He's still in power. For you and I, Here's the question. How do we live this out? How do we apply this in our lives? In a broken and a fallen world, when, when the drift in our culture is critical and negative and discouraging, how do, we, how, do we, how do we live this out? How do we refocus our story? How do we refocus our relationships? I want you to write three things down quickly. Number one, we thank God for what didn't happen. We thank God for what didn't happen. Which reminds me of a college girl. Mom and dad sent her off to college. She goes off to college and she calls mom and dad and said, listen, we need to talk. We need to have a serious conversation. And she drove all the way home from college and she came into the living room and said, mom and dad, please, please sit down. I need to tell you, I need to tell you something. I... You need to know that I, I went to a bar 
And there was a lot of drinking involved. And I went with this guy, and turns out I'm, I'm pregnant. And, and I'm, I'm going to have twins. But, but there's good news. The good news is he gets off probation in a year. And when he gets out of rehab, he wants to get a job. And he's not working right now, so he's living with me. And we're hoping that we're going to be able to raise these kids. And dad is just looking at the floor. And mom is looking at her daughter with her jaw half open. She says, Mom and Dad, everything I told you is not true. The truth is I just got a D in chemistry. But I wanted you to know that things could have been a lot worse. <laughs> things could have always been worse. Things could always be worse than they are. Let's thank God that they're not worse than they are. You know, we're sitting at a gate and waiting for the plane and they're working on something and then they come back on the PA and they said, we're going to be delayed another hour and we're thinking, you know what? If they're working on the plane and your flight's delayed, I want, to be, I, I want them working on the plane on the ground. I don't want to be in the air and find out something's wrong with this thing. Maybe you didn't get a promotion, but you still have a job. Maybe you don't have a job, but there are other jobs out there. Maybe the car is totaled, but nobody got hurt. Let's thank God for what didn't happen. And the second thing we need to do is we need to practice refocusing. We're going to practically live this. This is not a self-help message. This is the truth of God's word that he wants us to apply in our lives because he knows, he knows it's going to change us because the battle is in the mind and it's either won or it's lost in our thinking. Paul digs in on this. Let's determine ahead of time. Let's determine ahead of time how we see the world. Let's determine ahead of time how we think things are going to, what our response is going to be. When you're on a team, your team is going to encourage you. The, op, the opposing team is never going to encourage you. Matter of fact, it, the, your opposition is going to tell you you're a failure. You're, you're not good enough. But God is a good God, and God loves me. Your team is going to encourage you. We need to stop believing the lies about our past. The lies about our past. See, our failures in our past, the only one who brings them to our memory, God doesn't do that. The Bible says he takes our mistakes, failures, and sins, and he puts them in the, what the Bible refers to as the sea of his forgetfulness. And then he gives us a further description of that. He says, let me help you understand. I'm going to place your sins and transgressions, your failures, and I'm going to place them as far away from you as the east is from the west. He gives us real clarity. The only one who brings them up and pushes them in our face and reminds us of them is the evil one, is Satan himself, because he wants you to, to remember your mistakes, and he tells you that's what's going to be in your future. You're not going to change. You're not going to be able to, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battle is in the mind. Paul wins this battle. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to look for God's goodness. 
We're going to look for his goodness. Let's change our thinking to looking for his goodness. If you want to see bad, you can find bad. If you want to see bad, if you want to go negative, if you want to find bad in any organization or any group of people or any person or even yourself, you're going to find bad. If you want to dwell on that, you can. Here's my question for you. Is that really who you want to be? Is that really the person that you want to be? Paul says, uh-uh. And he didn't allow it in himself. And he challenges the church not to allow it in themselves. Let's choose to look for the good in our church. Let's choose to look for the good in other churches. Let's choose to look for the good in organizations. Let's choose to look for the good in people. Let's choose to look for the good that God is doing in us. Let's, al let's allow God to determine the meaning of what has happened to us. Paul could have said, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me, this is horrible. Paul never went that direction. Your circumstances, my circumstances, let's see our circumstances through the truth of God's word. Let's see our circumstances through who God is. Guys, there are different kinds of birds. There are vultures. We've all seen vultures. We, we, you know, we, we could be driving out into the desert, and you'll see, a, you'll see a vulture just flying around. And what's he, what's he focused on? He's either focused on something that's going to die or something that's already dead because that's what vultures look for. I walk out into my backyard, and we have these bushes with these yellow flowers on them. And so often, I'll see a hummingbird just buzzing around them. You know what hummingbirds are looking for? They're looking for nectar. They're looking for flowers. They're looking for sweet things. What are you going to focus on? What am I going to focus on? What am I going to look for? Because I'm going to get what I'm looking for. I'm going to find what I'm looking for. There are three things that we need to do. We need to thank God for what didn't happen. We need to practice pre-focusing. We need, we need to reshape our thinking, and we need to look for God's goodness. We need to look for the things he said, for the things that he, and look at the things he's done, and look for the things that he's going to do. Paul tells us how to do that. Last week, I talked about this passage of Scripture, Philippians 4, 4 through 8. And I challenged, I challenged our church family, let's memorize this. Let's not just memorize verse 8. Let's memorize 4 through 8. And I'd encourage you to do that. Write that down. See, in the most difficult time in my life, I memorized this passage of Scripture, and it is etched in my thought process. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in all things with prayer and petition, with gratefulness, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. It's etched in my brain 
And, and etched alongside of it and along with it is the very process that God himself took me through that time. And then he goes on and he says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about those things, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. He not only tells us the what, he gives us the why, and he gives us the how, because he wants the very process that God has done in his life to be in our lives. And God is waiting and anxious to do it. And he does it in our lives step by step. And he will complete what he started to do. Let's sing together. Stand with me. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for making us the apple of your eye. Thank you, Lord, for daily working in each of our lives. May we be willing to allow you to transform the very thought process that we operate in. In your name we pray. Amen.